Hello, my friends. This is your host, Stephen Roach, and I'm excited to share the concluding part of our roundtable discussion on the ordinary and the existential. This episode will conclude our conversations on art and the urge for transcendence. And what an incredible season this has been. I'm continually blown away by the wisdom and the perspectives each of our guests have shared with us. And over the next few weeks, I'm going to spend some time going back over all the episodes of this season and putting together a recap where I'll talk through some of the highlights of the subject matter we've covered and give you my own concluding thoughts. But before we get into today's episode, I want to take a moment and say thank you to everyone who has listened and kept up with Makers and Mystics. I want to say thank you to everyone who has emailed me or commented on our Instagram about how the episodes have impacted you. Your encouragement goes a long way and really fuels me to continue pursuing these conversations. So I'd love to hear from you. Shoot me an email or follow us on Instagram. Or if you'd really like to make my day, leave us a kind review on Apple Podcast and give us a positive rating on Spotify. And I especially want to say thank you to our patrons and supporters who help me keep the lights on from month to month. Makers and Mystics is an independently run and patron-funded podcast, and I could not do this work without you. So thank you for believing in this mission and for helping me produce over 235 episodes to date and for directly furthering this work of building bridges between art, faith, and culture. Thanks again for listening, my friends. This is the conclusion of our conversation on the ordinary and the existential. This conversation is making me think of two examples from the Gospels that I've been meditating on lately in tandem with one another. Just, you know, we're kind of talking about paradox at this point and and kind of holding two truths together at once. And Josh, what you were talking about, context. Context is such the key, I believe, for so many things. It's like, you know, being able to hold paradox together, this tension. And uh, Peter Rollins and I had a conversation earlier this year on the podcast about contradiction existing at the heart of all things. It's it's such a mind-blowing concept that he was sharing with me. But the two scriptures that I'm thinking about together is the transfiguration, where you've got Jesus on top of the mountain with his closest friends— And suddenly, Elijah and Moses are showing up in the middle of this. His clothes are so radiant. I love the way the gospel puts it, that no launderer could could get them this white, you know? And then the other picture that somehow is tied together with this to me is that performance art act of when Jesus got down on his knees and washed the dirty feet of his fishermen disciples. And how somehow both of those instances, the transfiguration in all of his radiance, and then the washing of the disciples' feet in all of his humility, both of those things, as different of expressions as they are, they both speak to me of transcendence. 
And I see the transcendence of God in both of those instances, you know? And I think that that just reminds me of everything we're talking about here, whether it's the feasting and the fasting, whether it's looking at the child and seeing the infinite, all of these paradoxes really point to that, or even as we, at the quote from Catherine Scholz that I mentioned earlier, how the ordinary and the existential are always stuck together. And I think, again, that's, that's the beautiful thing that, I've, that I believe that artists of faith, as followers of Jesus, that's part of what we get to do, is we, we get to show the world a glimpse into the transcendent through ordinary materials of paint and words and pen and ink. It's so good. Yeah. But it's, I, I don't know. That's just beautiful to me, putting the transfiguration and the washing of the feet together. That's just something I've never coupled together before. Oh, I mean, it's it's radical, isn't it? I mean, that's the, for me, that is one of the hardest things to comprehend about the the tension that Jesus is, you know, this God-manness. And I think um, another way of thinking about it is which which was more glorious, the you know, 30-odd years where nobody knew that Jesus was God as their neighbor shopping at their shop, kicking soccer balls around with their uh, friends' kids, you know, or, you know, the transfiguration because the glory is the same in both. And that just absolutely rides my mind, this this idea that um, that God can be both simultaneously as ordinary and run-of-the-mill mundane as we are and yet powerfully transcendent and what that invites us to in our human condition it just the more i have thought about it over these decades the more it has a become the most exciting invitation of life is how how to bring how do i see this how do i experience this simultaneous like weird i've woken up with a croaky voice and a sinus (laughs) vibe and yet i am you know fully inhabited by trinity home by god you know in one sense raised into that transcendent place already and i think man for me literally songwriting and and actually writing itself like which i've done recently um has been the only way that i can even slightly touch the sides of what that has felt and mean to mean to me and i think that's for me art there's no explaining it there's only feeling it and maybe that's what it was like to see jesus up the mountain that day it was just like what is going on just pure mind-blowingness and uh I think for me, like the expression of art and out of my body, out of myself, has just become the only way to kind of go blur to that insanely amazing yeah. truth and what I'm experiencing. Yes. I think, uh, Strawn, you're hitting something so key. Like, I so I have this conceptual framework that artists are prophets, and what they're doing is receiving some form of revelation and doing their best to give people eyes to see and ears to hear what they've seen. Um, And so I don't think, like, so for example, I don't think the prophets in the Old Testament fully knew what they were doing when they were like naked for a year or this, that, and the other thing. And I think what you've just hit on is so key. There's there's an aspect of art that comes from an unexplainable place within, like like Lewis talks about, people say, how did you come up with these ideas? And he's like, I, you can't, I can't tell you where ideas come from, except for like maybe the muses, but the muses aren't nine sisters. They're one and it's the divine logos and just shabam. But I think what happens after is like, after the prophetic work is like philosophers quote unquote, come in and just start 
giving it lanes and titles and labels because things need to be I think what we learn from the Old Testament, I learned it from Tolkien, but things need to be named to be to to find existence, right? And so like in the new heavens and the new earth, one of the things that like really excites me is God giving me a new name that only he and I know. And so there's this relational identity and existence that so I will be completely known because he will give me the name for me that I've always, that I've been longing for. I think what artists do is they form something and then people come around and they give it a name. And as an artist, we're like, no, I'm, it's unnameable. It's so much bigger than that. It's all these other things. I know what that's like. But at the same time, like labels and structure are so key to what it, like being a, when we say the word king, it conjures up so many emotions because we've called some, like we've heralded someone as a king and all these other images fly into our mind. And I think I don't call myself like a pure artist in the sense of like what you just said of like, Hey, I just got to get this thing out of me. And I don't know what it is exactly. Uh, But my wife is very much like that. And she'll just sit down and she'll, talk about transcendence or descendence or flow or whatever, just disappear for eight hours behind a canvas and then come up and I'll be like, Hey, why'd you do that? And she's like, I have no clue. (laughs) And for a week we'll talk about it until we kind of plumb the depths of where that came from. Because I think that's part of like what that divine deposit of revelation is. Like if God is giving someone something to communicate, it's a silly notion to think that we could just do it with like a, a quick, easy Christian catchphrase. Mm. Often what happens is people write books on the Gospels and they will just write books and books and books and books because the Gospels aren't just like historical narrative. They are epics about our king to go all the way back. You know what I mean? And so I think that that overlap is so, for me, it's very mind-blowing. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it does. It makes me think of that um, scripture where, uh, the writer says, you know, when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans beyond understanding. And it just makes me feel like what what we're trying to do in art is simply just tap that groan and let it move through. And out out of that comes images and words and sensations and emotions. But we're, we're a conduit, not in a possessive way. It, it is some weird kind of co-laboring way. We are, we're partnering. We're intermingled in that process. But it is the sense... Mm-hmm. Songs have always been that way for me. I was always used to say, I'm not a songwriter because I felt all I ever did with music, I'd pick up a guitar and I would just either cry or groan or just blur for 10 minutes with a record on. And then I'd be like, the song. (laughs) And out of it, I would say, oh, so that's what I'm experiencing. And I I look back, (laughs) I'd want to record albums because they helped me understand what I was experiencing. But it was was very rarely an intellectual exercise. And I think... And it's not not all arts that way, and I'm not saying that's the right way or that's the only way. I'm not that stupid, but mm. there is a sense, I think, in what you're saying in that passage of allowing yeah. the groan of infinity out, allowing that groan of yes. eternity out, um, without mm. needing to capture it and domesticate it with our intellect all the time. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's such yes. a good way of putting it. Not wanting to capture and domesticate it. Come on. <laughs> Especially in a culture that's so obsessed with method, right? Like I'm, the fact that you had to say, hey, I don't think this is the only way to do art. 
shows that we've kind of lost like the childlike freedom of just being free to do what we want to do. And we've said, well, like, how do we turn Strawn's thing into a commodity, into a method, a how to be a successful songwriter? And then instead of doing music, we teach about do how to do music. We've just totally separated like the actual action and participation within art to like method and explanation. And then we wonder why people are bored and we wonder why they settle for like counterfeit transcendence. In my mind, like everything you said is this deep overlap of, I think that was the most pure impulse that is just a, a, like a needle on the nose for how people feel. Like when they listen to conversations like this, to be like, well, how do I get that? That's the wrong question because I don't think you can teach beauty the way you teach morality or the way you teach programming on a computer. I think you guys have all said it. You invite people into a space where beauty works on them. And then as beauty works on them, they're like, okay, maybe this isn't a how-to. Maybe I just take what I'm receiving and yeah. do freely. Yeah. Amazing. I think in some ways that embodies some of the tension that I've experienced between art and faith because the art tends to hang out in this this space of ambiguity for a bit longer, letting things breathe and develop and 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 be discovered. Whereas sometimes the notion of the faith context is to immediately name or to explain or to, you know, tie it all together. And and sometimes if we're if we're not sensitive to that process, we can end up squelching the very thing that would speak for itself if we allow it to breathe. That's so good. Don't shortcut the the process. Yes. I think we've done ourselves a bit of a disservice in culturally. I mean, there's a whole history there, you know, the Enlightenment and Descartes and just industrialization and that whole process of being and thinking and doing. But I think for some reason, the church, we really picked that up and ran with it these last, you know, 50 or so years, really trying to just explain our way out of fear. And I think, you know, we see this as freedom having an answer for everything. But it just comes across to me like fear, just a fear that if there is any gray, that we are no longer okay. And what it's done is it sucked the experience right out of our lives. It sucked the experience out of prayer, out of our spirituality. Uh, and then I think we wonder why people look for experiences in drugs and sex or career or money. And we say, what? why are you doing all that? Don't you know Jesus loves you? But actually, we've kind of, we've made it such an intellectual thing that it's so unsatisfying um and i always think that about what jesus says you know like he doesn't in, jesus didn't invite us to come and think he invited us to come and drink and they're two very different realities but um yeah anyways just think what you're saying Stephen. i just couldn't agree more i think it's it's i think it's a key for us in our generation to to unlock to kind of free up art to free up ourselves free up our souls i think it's so important yeah Many have made this observation and I don't, I'm not big on like denigrating explicitly Christian movies and explicitly Christian music because I think, well, I think a lot of explicitly Christian music is amazing. And, um, you know, the Christian movies, it's like, I, I appreciate things that I can watch with my children, but I think there is, there is a tendency, certainly a tendency to play it very safe. In, in the, like I said, art that has an explicitly Christian label. Sean, like you were saying, I think sometimes 
because of out in the Christian world, like our tendency to play it safe, like ends up inadvertently sending people elsewhere looking for transcendent art and looking for looking for art that really like plums the depths of human experience. And, but mm -hmm. I think like, mm -hmm. if anyone should be doing that, we should be doing that, you know, um, like yeah. we mm -hmm. should be Amen. demonstrating the work of like that Christ's work of redemption reaches. There's nowhere that it cannot reach. And I think that was immensely comforting mm -hmm. to me, speaking of demonic experiences and psychedelics, like some of those demonic, really deep, dark, demonic experiences that I had on psychedelics. And I, I've thought a lot about and I feel like there's an analogy here and I just can't quite like limit out, but um, psychedelics and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Like, I just feel like there's, there's such a connection there, mm. but uh, yeah. it was such a comfort to me to know, like there is, you know, if I go to the heavens, you're there. Like Psalm 139 says, if I make my bed in the depths, you're there. Like there's nowhere that I can go that Jesus has not been. And I feel like this point probably harkens back a little while in the conversation, but I was thinking of the imminence and transcendence. I think about how Jesus holds all things together. And I remember when we were hiking through Grand Staircase Escalante, which is this national monument in Utah a couple of years ago. And it was, there was, we got really lucky. We were looking for this slot canyon. There was like no one else around. And it's just this like majestic, almost alien landscape and like the rocks are all these gradient colors. And, and it was one of those like non-drug-induced psychedelic moments that I feel like <laughs> the Holy Spirit gave. And I will say like the quote-unquote psychedelic moments that I've had not on drugs that have been through the Holy Spirit have had a cleanness and a purity that the psychedelic highs did not have. <laughs> but yeah, I just remember thinking like looking at the rocks, like these towering rocks and being like, how does Jesus like hold all the, like Jesus is literally holding all these things together and he is in all things and all things were created through him. And just the wonder and awe of like, how does that, how does that even work? And of course, like our minds can't, you know, break it down and understand it. Mm -hmm. Can I ask you guys a question? Yeah. Okay, so there's like this essay, like you brought up C.S. Lewis, Ashley, and he talks about how we enjoy or receive or give value to art. He talks about books primarily, but we can spread it out to a bunch of art. And he says, like, oftentimes you go to places and everything's valued by its technical ability. And so like you guys, you music makers in particular, like in a world that we live in now, like everything can just be calculated to be like how technical how technically perfect is this to do the things i want them to do psychologically but lewis says like hey we should get rid of that what if we just started appraising things by what they wake up in us by how they make us feel or how by off how how often we go back to them and i wonder how you guys like value your own art and your own process like process and like, how do I have technical proficiency, but then also like not judge myself by this weird standard of perfection where like we value the humanness of things. Do you know what I mean? I think it kind of ties in a bunch of the stuff we've been chatting about. Yes. 
Absolutely. I have one thought on that, Josh, that comes to mind, and it's that for me, technique serves the spirit. Mm. Technique is to the end that it gives a vocabulary for what the spirit would want to speak through my life and through my art. Mm. And so when I give myself to the discipline, when I give myself to practicing, when I give myself to study, it's to the end that I may have a broader vocabulary so that when that transcendent moment wants to bloom inside of me, I have a vocabulary that it can ride upon. Mm -hmm. And so that's the way that I kind of see the discipline and the technique uh, dovetailing in with some of the the more emotional or experiential sides of art making. Yeah, that's that's really good. Yeah, I, I would that. completely agree with that. Like the technique and the cultivation of technique is in service of the expression, and it's like a means to an end. And um, your question too, Josh, made me think of you talking about the human side of art, and I I have a tendency I've I've refined it over the years and used rulers and things, and somehow it still ends up happening to a lesser degree. But all my art tends to like list to the left, <laughs> like there's like things are just always like slightly crooked. Um, and my husband says he loves it that way because it's such it's like a human mark on it. He says nobody but me can really tell, you know, and. Uh, I actually think my my dad had my dad was a commercial interior designer and he had a carpenter that he frequently employed at our house and in his work and and he said Nick this carpenter he was just this great old guy and he always wore denim overalls and he was just he was just a sweet a sweet man but he said Nick was always you know like if things were within a quarter inch of the right measurement like that was good enough for Nick, you know? And like, I love the idea of that. I love the idea of there being like a human imprint on art. And I think that's one of the reasons among many that like AI art freaks me out so much because it just looks so unnatural because, and I know some of it like is wonky. Like there'll be people will have six fingers or people, you know, but like it has like this pe patina to it <laughs> that is like so digital and just like, inhuman and i i hate it like i hate it <laughs> and like i i love there to be that that human imprint on work and it feels wrong for that to not be present yeah i think there's there's a profound like i mean i'm so with what you're saying ashley i just think that input like the human element is what makes art lovable to me i, I stopped being able to listen to music for like 10 years when home studios blew up because they were just painfully perfect. And I just hated it. Yeah. This is, and then you'd, you'd go and hear yeah. someone play it live and you'd be like, oh my gosh, who wrote that song? And they'd be like, oh, it's this guy. And you'd go and listen to it and you'd be like, oh man, it's just nothing is out of step. <laughs> and it upset me because I couldn't hear the soul anymore. The soul gets lost in it. And I think, um, mm -hmm. and this is what maybe, uh, there's been a revelation for me, particularly because of my 10 year sort of illness journey is the way that in our culture we try to remove brokenness and imperfection our idea of perfection is that there's nothing wrong with it whereas i would say like a new testament view of perfection is that it's it's perfect because it's beautiful and amidst it's wrong with itness it's a terrible way of saying anything <laughs> maybe that my own sentence illustrated my point it's good word lots of hyphens <laughs> and I, th I think there's something for us as artists who embrace at like a god who suffered a god who died the imperfection of the church the imperfection of 
the disciples, the mistakes, to to beautify and and create objects of beauty that carry all those elements of humanness in it so that when yeah. someone discovers it the meek the lowly the poor in spirit the wounded the they hear that imperfection and they're still liberated they're set free because they find love in the midst of brokenness mm-hmm. and imperfection that that human element connects with other humans and i think it's it's tragic i think when we try and hide our brokenness and so for me the way i did that in my art just to bring it back to your actual question was um man my albums are like i can totally understand why people wouldn't want to listen to my albums i mean i would sit down with a guitar and just record (laughs) live. i sang everything live into a microphone engineers hate me i'm like i can't i don't get the vibe unless i'm playing it live which means the sound quality is way worse it gets weird at times and the last record we just set mics up all through the studio and we captured all of the sounds that just happened walking in creaking on the chair and the idea was to make the most human the album was called vulnerability and so the goal was to like create a vulnerable album that was human and if you get the lp and you put headphones on you'll hear me breathing and crying you'll hear chairs creaking and that's the stuff i got most excited about and the production was like oh man this is an album mm-hmm. and i think you know no one else would ever know that but for me i think there's so much beauty in those things I th- that's where the tasty bits come so i love i love what you're saying actually about putting the human back into it and i think it's important for yeah that. and i love those i feel like a lot of old records you can hear like it makes me think of bob dylan is it the beginning of bob dylan's 115th dream i think it's on bringing it all back home where he just like messes up and he just starts hysterically laughing and i just love that that's <laughs> in the rec- and then they have to start over you know like i, I yeah i love yes. that stuff. i love that that human mark on things so good yeah. that brings it back to the ordinary and the existential being tethered together yeah. so good mm-hmm. well friends we could talk for weeks <laughs> and never exhaust this subject but this has been an absolutely phenomenal conversation i'm so inspired right now and i just want to thank you all for joining me on the makers and mystics podcast and for creating the work that you're creating and for just being on this journey i'm so inspired by each one of you and uh yeah so thanks so much for being on the podcast with me today thank you so much totally an honor loved it such a pleasure thanks for having me thank you for listening to the makers and mystics podcast This episode was produced by me, Stephen Roach, with music provided by Somewhere at Sea. Be sure to see the show notes of this episode for links to today's guest and for links to join the Makers and Mystics Creative Collective. We'll see you again very soon. And until then, keep creating. The world needs your art. God made beauty, man made distractions, man made attractions, sad horses in a circle of fence and mud. Experience is better than entertainment, spontaneity is a stolen kiss. Outside of the city, women spit on the ground and it's okay to wear the same clothes twice. 
always go further than the point you want to quit. For if you had turned around, then surely you would have missed what rounding the corner would have given you as gift. You've got to go further than you've ever wanted to go. And remember, never take the same road home.